A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the White Lotus Podcast, where the Lorehounds your guides to your Italian dream vacation. I'm John. And I'm David, and this is our coverage of White Lotus Season 2, Episode 4, In the Sandbox. Each episode, we will take a closer look at different themes, references, and history relevant to the episode. Today, we will be discussing some of the paintings that were prominent in this episode. Then, we'll move into a scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode, followed by our Deadpool conversations and listener feedback. A reminder, you can send us your feedback to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those emails in the next episode. We'd love to hear your hot takes, thoughts, and predictions. If you want to talk White Lotus with us sooner, join us over at the Bald Move Discord. Link is in the show notes below and at baldmove.com. We have a well-moderated server and a dedicated channel set up for the White Lotus. Each episode is siloed, so you can join the conversation at any time without fear of spoilers. And a quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Members get ad-free versions, early access, and more. Of course, you can still get our ad-supported podcasts over on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice. Lastly, we're going to be talking about some mature and sensitive topics on the show, and we'll try to do so respectfully. If you've got any feedback, it's always appreciated. Send it to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com. All right, David. Time to head into the hotel lobby. All right, Giza. I got my sexy underwear on, so uh, let's go. <laughs> what do you think? Did you shit your pants? No, I did not shit my pants. <laughs> that was actually pretty clever from Porsche, I got to say. That was yeah, fun. yeah, it was a very an American line compared to a very English line. It was. Yeah. Uh, I've lived in the UK a little bit too, and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a very American <laughs> English back and forth. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Their, their interactions were just charming all episode. Um, so, so David, what's your overall vibe on the episode? As an episode of television, I really enjoyed this episode. I was laughing out loud multiple times. I was listening with headphones on and my spouse kept looking into the room like, what's so funny? Because I was just actually like, God, honestly, you know, having a good <laughs> chuckle at so many of the scenes. I really feel like the, the show's firing on all cylinders now. The moody transitions are back, which for me is just such a glue for this show uh, to just connect everything and just give you those tonal vibes. Lots of twists and swerves that I'm not um, expecting, which I'm really enjoying. I think, you know, because we watch so much television that, you know, you can really tell 
when the writers are just being trite or lazy because it gets really you get I get bored and 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 I can predict things. But this show is anything but boring. I'm I have no idea where we're going to end up. I have no idea who's going to end up in the ocean. Um, and I really, as a viewer of television, I'm enjoying that experience because I'm trying to figure out what's happening next and I have no clue. And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the Deadpool is all in the air. I mean, anybody's, totally. it's anybody's game here. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the introduction of new players on the field, right? right with right. with Tom Holland and... and uh, and the and game that whole crew. Oh man, that was some really fun stuff. They're they're definitely the gay mafia, right? We can agree yes, on that. Agreed. Yes, a very powerful okay. local interest. Okay, cool. Yes, I love this episode too. <laughs> it was really funny. I mean, and it, it's great because they didn't rely on Tanya for the humor only. Right. It was just everywhere. It yes. was you know the interactions with the DeGrassos. It was Mia and Lucia. It was a situational comedy of Mia accidentally almost killing the um, piano player. You know, the piano player. So uh, it was everything. Um, and and one thing that I liked was that they would take me to a dark place. Yeah. And then I'd be like, "Oh my god, something terrible is about to happen!" And then it would just be funny. Yes. And I was yes. like, "Okay, that is a good laugh because I'm so stressed by that point that I'm right. just ready to let it go." <laughs> so uh, again, excellent job, Mike White. Your your eye is on the ball still, and and I can't wait to see what's next. So we've got uh, just a light touch on our research topics tonight. Um, so there were several paintings that were featured in this episode, and we tried to do some quick background research on them. I'm thinking I might post these in our Discord for this episode as well, just to yeah. um, see what other people think about these. The first one I want to point out is there's a scene when Harper is in bed at the Palazzo, and she's on the phone with Ethan. And at the end of the conversation, they snap out to a wide shot, and we see these huge frescoes. I don't know what these are called, these big tri-panel, this big tri-panel um, uh, painting that's on the mm. wall. And I looked really close, and I rewatched the opening credit sequence, and the panels that are behind Harper are not the same images that are in the opening sequence. However, they are extremely similar, so much so that I th I'm thinking that those opening credit sequence images come from this palazzo. So somewhere around this building is where all of those images are coming from. Very interesting. Not that it means anything. Yeah, I just... It's, a, it's, again, Mike White weaving a really interesting tapestry. Mm. You do like weaving your tapestries, David. I do, I do. I'm a, I'm a weaver at heart. Uh, so we've got next, then, a painting that shows up behind Tanya and Quentin when they're talking when he invites her to the beach club. Then we've got a painting that spooks Lucia. And then we've got a painting that we talked about before, the Tarquin and Lucretia, I think, is it? Uh, that's, it's, it's in Harper and... It's in, the Rape of Lucretia. That's, that's the it, English. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, the, that's hanging in, in Harper and Ethan's room. And then there's a final one where a man is being struck by two arrows. And we see that after Albie falls back on the bed. Um, mm -hmm. at the end of the scene. So, John, what do we know about these various paintings? I'll just start with that. You've already discussed the rape of Lucretia. Yes. Um, so we won't have to go through that again. But the painting behind Tanya is pretty interesting because we, this has been the talk of Reddit lately um, uh -huh. because nobody knows what it is. Nobody can identify it. 
It right. seems to just be a Renaissance style painting that depicts per- perhaps the finding of Moses by the Egyptians. Uh huh. Um, and I posited to you, is Tanya going to be raised by the gay mafia now? <laughs> Has she been I d- found? I don't know. It is a straight, it's, it's like, I feel like we're stretching there. I like it, but I'm no, also that's really my theory. not sure. That's your thing. Okay, tinfoil hat. Internet points. Oh, got it. Let's go. Perfect. Okay, but the, the other ones, and I'm going to add one too, uh, are really interesting because the three DeGrasso men each have a saint in their room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, first of all, you mentioned the painting that spooks Lucia, which is actually Saint Lucia. Interesting. The patron saint of eyesight, the blind. Um, and then you also have in Dominic's room, which we saw, I think, in a different episode. So, it wasn't really this episode, but I'm going to bring it in anyway. Okay. Um, saint Agatha. Okay. Who was a saint who had been betrothed, but she had sworn a vow of chastity. Mm-hmm. And her fiance imprisoned her and tortured her to try to convince her to go through with the marriage and ended up cutting off her breasts. Pretty gruesome. Ooh, uh, she ended up being the patron saint of uh, breast cancer survivors. Okay. Um, and she is saved by a volcano eruption. Uh, okay. And then dies later anyway. But, um, you know, it's it's super interesting. I don't know what they're saying with that. Uh, my one theory with it would be maybe Dominic's wife feels like she's a prisoner in this marriage. Mm, right. Or is Dominic the prisoner to his his uh, obsessive compulsive uh, problems? Is uh, his, uh, oh, what's the word? I heard an interview with him again about it. Um, Sex addiction? Uh, compul- no, compulsion. Uh, compulsion. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that Dominic would more be the monkey in chains, you know? Okay. <laughs> Tied to his animalistic nature, you know? Right, yes. Yeah, Good he's pick. the primate. He's trying, okay. just trying to get his next fix. Well, um, it, interesting okay. enough, in season one, Mark, remember the husband, he was doing the whole primate thing and like beating on his chest one night and all that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah it was that a pretty was funny fun. scene. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, okay, so for the third one, this is even more interesting, I think. It's St. Sebastian on... Uh, uh, Albie's wall, and uh-huh. Lucia passes it while she's going to the bathroom after their little fun. Right. So St. Sebastian was persecuted in the Roman Empire, uh-huh. and he was tied to a tree and shot with arrows. He is saved by uh, a, a female saint, I believe it's St. Irene, uh-huh. and then later confronts his persecutor and is killed finally, I think, by being beaten to death. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay he, Hear these me are out, all though. pretty rough yeah well, this is a renaissance painting what do you want them to be Not right, rough? right. <laughs> it's just, it's just nobody was happy come on so here's my theory with this is that albie is saint sebastian uh-huh he was hurt you know by yep. by pinpricks basically right by portia yep. like little slights here and there yep being the arrows he's not non-binary <laughs> he is saved by a woman. Yeah, right. Lucia. Yeah. From the embarrassment. Uh-huh. And later he's going to confront Portia and she's going to, oh. I don't think she's going to kill him, but I think she's going to like take him down a notch. I think she's going to like really crush his self-esteem. Right. It'll be interesting. Uh, okay. So this will be a good one to see what they what they do. Because they, when all when Albie falls back into the bed, it's like, bang, there's that image and the two arrows that are sticking out of St. Sebastian's body are like, it's just such a clear shot. Like, right. that is not accidental. None of these paintings are accidental. No. I think Mike White's trying to tell us a lot with these. Uh, really fun to speculate on. 
we'll see how they pan out. Uh, my internet points are down, and uh, hopefully, I'll have uh, winnings this Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, you got you're you're going to be open for your death pool to pay off. It's true. It's true. Okay. Why don't we head into our scene breakdown? Sounds good. This one was a little bit tricky to try to unthread because there's a lot more intermixing going on. Um, so, you know, there's a couple places where we're going to bounce back and forth, but uh, I think I've got it pretty straight. So we'll start with Valentina. Valentina passes the girls uh, as they're coming out and then chats up Isabella. She's hilariously ignorant of the shops on the Corso, and uh, Isabella directs Dom to a nice shop when he comes up to ask a question. Isabella is a lovely concierge. Wouldn't you love someone who actually knew where to direct you? She was very when pleasant. you asked for something. Exactly. She knew exactly where to go. What? To, yeah, very competent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just really good at her job. Here's the debating point. Is Valentina having romantic feelings for Isabella, or is she having her first friend ever? You know, I'm pretty on the camp that she's romantically interested in Isabella, but now that you bring up the fact that she's just got a friend, you know, somebody that she can maybe even mentor a little bit, maybe she's just crushing on her, right? Oh, like new friend, cool, let's hang out all the time, I'm 100% into you. Which isn't necessarily rising to the level of um, romantic interest. That could be an option. But I think everybody, I mean, from what I've seen, a lot of people are just biting down hard on the fact that uh, Valentina is romantically interested. So I'm going to push back on it a little bit. Cool. I'm going to yeah. push back on the, on the uh, Valentina is gay theory. I like it. And just say, we often assume that any intimacy between people of the same sex is romantic. Mm-hmm. And maybe Mike White is trying to say not all intimacy is sexual and romantic. Well, certainly Cameron and, and uh, Ethan were intimate <laughs> oh boy. a little bit this oh episode. Boy. We'll get to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting thing because he's sort of, he's inverting and flipping uh, these characterizations around. And, and uh, I like that idea that why does it have to be romantic? Why can't it be uh, purely amical? I mean, she's crushing hard, obviously. But the question is, is, does that mean she's gay or not? I, I don't know. Right. Well, because, you know, it was a problematic thing for decades that we had no representation of same-sex couples, yeah, same-sex romance, especially uh, even later, we only had like negative portrayal of same-sex couples, like, uh, you know, the famously like couple gay couples, one of the partners will die in the movie. Yes, like always. That. Yeah. Walking Dead was very bad with that, I think. It would constantly kill off the, the gay romance partners. Yeah, but it's also pretty problematic, too, to assume that people can't be close, people can't be intimate in their friendships without also being romantic. It's a, it's a good point. And without it, it, them needing to be in a relationship. So yeah. uh, I'm still waiting for the evidence either way, I okay. would say. But I'm, I'm, I'm not swayed either way so far. Well, later, Valentina pins a brooch on Isabella's lapel from that same shop um, just as an ambulance arrives to take Giuseppe away. Timing. Timing, Valentina. <laughs> and that brooch was hideous. That was so bad. <laughs> I don't know if Isabella really appreciates it or not. Like, I don't know. I was pretty shocked by it. Well, she has a smile glued to her face at all times, so I can't tell when she's being genuine. That's true. That's true. I love what I am, regardless of, of whatever Valentina's orientation is, I'm loving that we're getting to see her in a more 
because uh, soft light, you know, or it, like she's she's having emotions other than annoyance uh, <laughs> or um, berating her staff, right? Like here's actually this tender moment that we we see, and and they set her up last episode, right, with the walk to work, feeding the kittens, all of that kind of stuff. So, right, this is all part of this um, slowly getting to know Valentina. Uh, over the course of the of the series, so that I think when we get to the end, and we've got the bodies in the water, like I think we're going to see Valentina in, a, in maybe a different light. I will also say this: we had a lot of issues with Armand, you know, basically coercing a uh, a subordinate yeah. into <laughs> yes. having sex with problematic. him. Problematic. Yep. In the first season. Yep. It will not be less problematic if Valentina does the same thing. Now, she hasn't. She right. hasn't at this point. No. But let's just keep an eye on the dynamic of boss and employee when it comes to this. Because she's very on, like, is Rocco bothering you? But mm-hmm. what if Valentina's bothering her? And she hasn't mm-hmm. even thought of that. This would be a very Mike White thing to do. Right. Is to invert these, uh, to parallel these and then invert these power structures and get into this conversation about... Um, don't sleep with your coworkers. <laughs> like, just bottom line, just don't do that. Right. And if Valentina is going down that road, she's definitely falling uh, into that trap, uh, especially in that power dynamic trap. Which, as you point out, in season one with Armand, yeah, like that was mm, a little bit of an issue. Right. And I do think that Valentina is a personality type that would create a hostile work environment. Mm. <laughs> she's generally hostile. Yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah. So wh- whether that hostility is because of sexual rejection or not, uh, that that is the the sticking point here. Right. All right. So let's um, switch focus over to Mia and Lucia. Mia and Lucia recover from their escapades at the poolside, and Lucia expresses regrets and asks for forgiveness. All whores are punished in the end, she says. Mia tries to reassure her. And it seems that Mia is having a turn, and then Lucia begins to worry for her. So I think that we're beginning to see the inversion of these two people. Yes. Basically, Lucia is saying, I have an end goal, and I'm wondering if what I'm doing now is actually getting me there. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mia says, I have an end goal, and I think that your path is the way I get there. Yep. And I think that Lucia probably has been burned before on one of these things. I mean, she basically just was with Dominic, like, not, in a, not in a violent way, but in a kind of got screwed over way. And then Mia hasn't experienced this at all. Right. Both by Dominic and Cameron. Right. Right. True. Yeah. So, I, I mean, Lucia has created a monster, I think. I think that Mia just hasn't been involved with this enough to realize the risks involved. Well, and I think she's starting to feel um, what her sexual power can accomplish for her. And she's probably like, you know, that rush of like, oh my gosh, like there's new potential here that I didn't see before. Um, And so she's starting to feel that. Oh, and then of course she says to Lucio, that's just the drugs talking. Well, yeah, Mia, (laughs) you're still coming down as well. So, right. You know, like, yeah, you're, you're counterbalancing Lucia in this, but your realization that you can use this pathway to get to what you want may also be being influenced right now as well. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just the fact that they bring her into the Catholic church later really just reinforces that judgment thing. (laughs) God, that was hilarious. All right. The girls take the opportunity to use Bert's room to clean up and they get caught. Bert is tickled. 
<laughs> Bert had such a good time. Yes. Um, the the way he recounts it later is just delightful too. I mean, he's yeah. like, you know, I I didn't mind. It's just uh like like father, like father, like son. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. I was scratching my head. I was like, why don't the girls just go home? But I think the more I thought about it, I, I think they don't want to leave the property. I mean, obviously they want to get the money from Cameron. And I think maybe if they, they're afraid that if they leave the confines, they may not be able to get back in. Yeah. I think that Valentina is waiting for any excuse to kick them out. Mm-hmm. Also, you know what? They get free meals while they're there because That's it seems true. like they're still, they still have access to all the DeGrasso's money. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a pretty sweet deal there. They don't even have to do work for it now. They just, you know, live in a hotel for a week. Later at the poolside, Lucia confesses that she just wants to be a simple shopkeeper. Mia expresses her desire to be a singer and then has a realization that she can use sex to get what she wants. And Lucia tries to talk her out of it. So this is just a continuation of what we were touching on before, just Mia really starting to realize the, the power that she has in her hands. Right. And you know what? Being handed a couple grand when you're like in your early 20s is a pretty powerful thing. You know what I mean? Like it's she probably felt like, wow, just for that, like it's uh, it's a dangerous game she's playing. Right. Especially, you know, as, as we understand it. Outside of the resorts, the you know the local communities are there on Sicily are to some degree economically de- depressed, and so you know these are just a couple of young kids who are just trying to make their way in the world. And you're right, yeah, getting a couple of grand in your in your hand like that's um, I mean I remember getting yeah getting an allowance and you're just like whoa like the world is la- laid out before me in a whole new different light like I can go buy all the candy and comic books that I want right. Well, and also Lucia, I think we're being told with the symbolism with St. Lucia, with the eyesight, with her eyes on a plate, mm-hmm. is going in with eyes wide open, Right, you know, is is understanding the risks of this. And I think that after the whole deal with Cameron, first of all, I think that Cameron has ruined this profession for her. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about Cameron, but it, he seems to have turned her off the whole thing. Right. And I think that she just understands the risk in a way that Mia just doesn't right now. And and this is not like a judgment on sex work. It's just, if you're going to do it, you got to realize that, especially like in an area where it's illegal, you have to realize like what you're doing. Right. All right. Mia uh, then goes to proposition the piano player who ushers her into the hotel chapel. He has troubles. So Mia retrieves some pills from Lucia's bag. Uh, this scene, this whole sequence just had me laughing out loud. The fact that he took her to the chapel, the fact that she was like looking up at some of the, the paintings on the ceiling and then that wasn't working. And it was just a, a brilliant physical comedy sort of slapstick routine. Uh, slaps. Oh, hey, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> um, um, What's a, what's another way to describe a, a, a physical comedy? Anyway, it was it was absolutely hilarious with her running around trying to get the pills. I, I had a great time watching this. The thing that made me laugh the hardest was my relief laugh that I alluded to before. Uh-huh. Because when he was on top of her and she started going, no, 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 right. I was like, oh, oh, my God, he's about to assault her. Right. And then... All of a sudden, she just didn't want to look at the painting. And I, was, I right. was just so relieved, I laughed out loud. Right. Like, all right, all right, that's less, that's less bad. All right, she just didn't want to see the painting. But yeah, it was just wild. And just them, like, sitting in the pews afterwards when you can't perform. <laughs> just, that's like, great. 
so just good. sitting in this like shameful position. And somebody pointed out on Reddit, I think that they had him lean forward and her lean back, uh-huh. you know, away from the camera to make his size even bigger and her smaller mm, so that it really emphasized that he is a grown man and she is almost a kid. A child, yeah. Well, it, 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 Mike White has done this a, a few times throughout the series so far where he's um, dropped some dialogue into the script and in this one, you know, that, that are kind of like thesis statements or like clearly he's driving a point here. And in this scene, we have Mia say, why is it always, why is it always men who have the power? And then he replies, if we didn't, pretty girls like you wouldn't get to skip to the front of the line. And that's like, whoa, like, what are we saying here? What is this? Well, I mean, that's his view. I mean, if the men are choosing the women who go to the front of the line, do women have any power at all? Mm-hmm. And she's trying to use that power to get what she wants, which is to, you know, get connected to the music industry. Right. Again, I don't think that he knows anybody. I think that's reinforced by her trying to talk to him about it and him kind of just dodging the questions. Yeah, I think he knows people, but that doesn't mean that he's going to have any pull with those people, right? You know, I'm sure it's right. just uh, he, he's obviously trying to get what he wants um, uh, with a light promise. I once got an autograph from Billy Joel. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like that's what he's saying. Right. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, is I, I just barely know somebody and I'm just going to bring you in there. Right. So uh, later, Giuseppe collapses and he's taken out by ambulance uh, while Mia and Lucia talk at the bar. And then Albie joins them and Bert notices and Dominic has to have another drink of wine to calm himself. Oh, boy. Giuseppe, I, I, I don't really feel that badly for you because you're, you know, yeah. being a predator. Yep. And um, you're just a sleazeball and you're taking random pills from women you don't know. And uh, <laughs> I just don't feel that badly for you, man. I'm sorry. I think it's a hilarious, hilarious uh, scene and just the way that he was like, you know, that was Vragger, right? And she's like, uh. <laughs> she didn't like say yes or no. It was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, something. So, but, but I don't know, like, what happens if you take Molly... And you're going one way and you've got Viagra going the other way. Like that's got to mess with your circulatory system in a big, big time way. I don't think there was Viagra at all. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Because your Viagra actually was designed to help with heart attacks. Right. Because it, it expands your blood vessels. I'm pretty sure that's what it, it was supposed to do. Right. Um, so that, that should have actually helped him if he was having a heart attack. But I don't know if that's what he was doing. I think he might have just been tripping out on Molly too much. Uh, well, yeah, and he's not expecting it. And that right. reminds me of back in the, um, in the chapel scene when she's like, he takes the pill and, he, and she looks at him like, okay, like, <laughs> he's like, no, it takes a time. <laughs> right. All of that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He's worse than usual. That was a great line. Yeah, yeah. And just how self-centered is Cameron when he goes, four for dinner in the middle of this guy's oh, probable death? It's not like they could do anything. They weren't, they're not qualified. They don't speak the language. The hotel staff were on it. Uh, but it was very callous to just kind of go, oh my God, well, maybe we should go inside. You know, he was just like, nah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I, look, there was a way to do that, and that wasn't it. You know yeah. what I mean? But it like, was so Cameron. Sure. Sure. They could have, yeah, it was very Cameron. Yeah. But sure, they could have, uh, you know, sat down for dinner, but. 
maybe wait till the ambulance takes him out or I don't know, wait till the the host quietly says, hey, do you want me to get you a seat? Right. Like, like, let them accommodate you for a minute instead of busting through the door and yelling, hey, four for dinner. Right. Uh, Yeah, that was that was super uncomfortable. But you know what? A lot of laughs on the scene. Tragedy aside. All right, let's uh, switch over to Portia, Albie, Jack, and Lucia, because these four sort of overlap throughout the whole uh, episode. Um, at breakfast, uh, Portia and Albie make plans for the day, and Portia asks Tanya for some personal time off. And as she's describing Albie, she says that he's not non-binary. <laughs> oh, boy. This was one of the ones where I was like, nobody says that. <laughs> So and Mike funny. White's like, I do. I do. Yeah, exactly. And and I just love how she's trying to describe him. She's just trying to come up with these adjectives and descriptors. And she's like, he's nice. He's just sort of, right? She's not excited by him at all. Like He's tapioca pudding. He's a sweet guy. Yeah. He, she, she doesn't have ill will towards him, clearly. And she, you know, happy to have a coffee with him or whatever. But like, yeah, she is not turned on by him in that uh in that way that she was hoping to be he does not make her blood hot nope. you know it's just they don't have chemistry and that's okay and uh i think portia is coming to realize that by the end and she's extremely charmed by jack throughout the episode and and i think that she's just trying to have a vacation here and that's okay now I'll just say this. In defense of Albie, though, it would be nice if Portia was like, hey, I'm not really feeling it, instead of just stringing him along a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, I'll meet you soon. Like, don't tell him that. Just say, right. no, nah, I think I'm just going to hang out with Jack for the day. Well, she hadn't met Jack by that point. Right. Oh, no, but she even says there, like, oh, yeah, I'll meet you later. I'll find you. Yeah. But, you know, they both they both do well at the end, so. Yeah. Portia and Tanya join Quentin's party while Albie grabs a couple of lounge chairs poolside and then he spies Jack chatting up Portia, who seems to be into it. Portia and Jack get to know each other, and Jack invites her to have fun in the sandbox. So that's a, several scenes all sort of um, intercut together there. Portia was tickled pink. Yeah. Just absolutely riveted by Jack. When Albie shows up, like it is just so clear that they're on a date. <laughs> yeah. Like, they have two glasses of wine, they're giggling together, they're getting closer, and then Albie's like, hello. And outside of Jack's charm, he's nothing special. He's Like he says, I'm from Essex, but we Americans love an interesting British accent, and so, and he's got moves, right? Like, he, he doesn't, he's not being held back by any sort of generational you know, weird trips about, you know, where you come from or what you're about. Jack is who he is. He's presenting himself exactly like, I'm just a guy from Essex. I'm here to have some fun. Let's go. Right. All right. So here's something that I want to bring in. Mm -hmm. He made a few comments that made me go, hmm, about basically getting his butt grabbed by random men. Uh huh. What's that about? Um, I don't know that it wouldn't be out of the ordinary given the situation, like somebody being playful and he was just like, yeah, okay, somebody's being playful. I don't know what, you, I don't know what you're driving at. Okay. So I'm going to bring something in here. Okay. I saw this on Reddit. So if I'm wrong, 
I blame Reddit. It's a cesspool over there. It seem it it is, but it can be informational. <laughs> I know, I know. I shouldn't bag on Reddit that hard. It's fine. It's fine. You know what? They're a lovely source for some of these things. So yeah, anyway, for sure. Supposedly, when there are people running prostitution rings, they often call the sex workers niece or nephew. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see it. Is Jack actually somebody for the agency and not actually related to these people? Uh, I am not getting that vibe. I think, um, I think I'm going to play it straight until, until I have information otherwise. But we're looking at the gay mafia here. We agree on that. Yeah, and these guys don't seem like they're that type, though. Like, they're just party boys. They just want to have fun. Well, the money for the partying has to come from somewhere, David. And uh, the mafia is not above sex work. Well, is it? are you talking real mafia or just like... No, I think that they are the mob. I think that they are like Sicily mafia. Okay. That's where I'm at. I don't know if... I got it. Okay, okay, okay. I got you. I thought you were just being, I thought we were just calling that like a silly, like they're just a, oh, they're a group of, you know, a, a pack of uh, a friends who roam around and they, they're sort of mafia-esque, but not actual mafia. No, nah, they, they have a little villa. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. This is the gay mafia. This is the real gay mafia. Okay. All right. We'll see how it plays. We'll see how it plays. So I'll see where we go with that. I will point out this, though, if we remember earlier, Cameron was complaining about um, European aristocrats who have no money. Hmm. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then, of course, the story that Quentin tells Tanya about the little island and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's, there's something swirling around there. I'm not sure exactly what, though. Didn't Jack also say that they always invite an old rich hag? Yeah, I don't know if we need to be suspicious of Quentin or not. Is everyone after Tanya's money, Greg included? All right, it's possible. Mia and Lucia try to sit next to Albie, and then Lucia gets a good look at him because she's not sure who he is. Albie musters and goes to confront Portia and Jack. Portia makes excuses. Albie is embarrassed by his father and grandfather. I will say Albie was kind of rude to them. Like, you can't sit there. Like, that's not how you say that. <laughs> it's, uh, he, he was clearly on edge mm-hmm. um, also something I didn't mention in the previous scene with them is Albie walked past a bunch of beautiful women and did not even glance at them mm-hmm. he's currently hyper fixated on Portia yeah totally and it's the same thing when me and Lucia come to hang out with him he's like nope nope get out of here uh, very dismissive of them and we already talked about uh, sort of Albie's confrontation with Portia and Jack but I'll just reiterate she needs to be very straightforward in cutting him loose because he's not somebody who gets a hint. Um, and yeah, I mean, Porsche's tickled by Jack. I'm, I'm, uh, we, we know where that goes. And Albie being embarrassed by his father and grandfather is nothing new to me. Right. Well, and he had, he was confronted about that earlier. Like, do we embarrass you? So it was a nice sort right. of tie back that, you know, and then here he comes up looking very, uh, average in his t-shirt and shorts um and and he's trying to muster and he's trying he's clearly you know his nice guy rage is boiling inside him and so for him to like try to like confront the situation that's a that's a tough thing to do cuz you, you know they had plans and she's clearly 
not um, following through on those. And then she like awkwardly makes excuses like, yeah, she, you know, she's friend zoning him hard. Right. Exactly. But again, at the same time, like just be straightforward with people. That's my best advice to this generation. These Zoomers is <laughs> just like talk to people. You know, if you're not interested, that's fine. Just just be straightforward. Because I'll say this. Albie, though he did scare me with his initial nice guy comment, has so far respected Porsche's wishes. Yeah. And he turns out to be a, a nice guy and not somebody, um, not a wolf in sheep's clothing here. Right. Exactly. Albie watches from afar as Portia and Jack have fun. And then Lucia comes to sit with him and they start to get to know each other. She invites him for a swim. Um, do you think Lucia is legitimately attracted to Albie? I think so. I think so. Okay. Or do you think that she's attracted to his status? So if we go back to that email that we got from Marta back from episode one, when she talks about the Boca de Rosa, the Rosemouth song, and we um, learn about a woman who is uh, who has uh, sex for pleasure. But, you know, we know in this question of whether uh, that person is a sex worker or not, I think we're seeing that play out here with Lucia. Like, yeah, she is a, you know, active sex worker. But I think she's actually taking a little bit of shine to Albie as we find later that, you know, she she thinks he's actually, you know, a sweet guy. I think that she's falling for him and he's going to fall for her. Uh huh. And then Portia is going to be the one that spills the beans that she's a sex worker. And then Albie's going to be heartbroken. <laughs> You're going for some hard theory here. No, I'm doing because I'm doing the 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 saint thing. Uh, the saint uh, right. Oh, I thing. got you. I got you. I got you. Portia's going to strike the killing blow on that relationship. Interesting. Okay. And she's gonna she's gonna let it out of the bag. Maybe she finds out from Bert or something like that. Right. And anyway, and then Lucia is going to think like, oh, I'm moving to California. We're going to have a great time. I'm finally going to live my dream. I found a nice guy. I'm not going to have to do sex work anymore. And then shut down. Done. Okay. <laughs> you got some That's big wagers theory. out. You're, you're doubling down on your wagers Listen, here. This is, this is right before Thanksgiving, so we got to get all the chips on the table. Right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Um, Jack, later in the evening, Jack and Portia drink at the bar while Albie enjoys the company of Mia and Lucia. Portia feels uncomfortable. Jack makes a pass and Lucia matches. Jack and Portia leave, and Albie and Lucia follow suit. So this was a nice little uh, chess game here that they were having. I don't think that either of them were being very mature about it, was, but it was funny to watch. Well, I, you know, for whoever, you know, for as Jack being Jack, right, he looks over and he's like, look, the guy's doing good. Like, why, do you, why should you feel bad, Portia? You and I are vibing. We're having fun. I look over, I see the guy you kind of liked and he, he kind of liked you and he's getting, you know, he's, he's going somewhere like cool, right? Like I thought Jack was the, the, the most straight of all of this going through that. And uh, I thought it was all fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was definitely really funny to watch. Um, I, I was actually, I thought that it was very nice of Lucia to save him from that. Yeah. You know, like, like he was about to be really embarrassed and she just was like, you know what? I thought she was just going to do that. I thought that's where it was going to end. And uh -huh. I was actually really surprised later when it went further. Well, did he, I mean, maybe in that moment, did, uh, did she suddenly, you know, realize that, yeah, this guy is a really nice guy. I've been getting to know him all day. We've been hanging out at the bar. He's funny. He's cute. Like, you know, maybe she, you know, has, you know, a, a crush on him in that way. 
Well, he does make a lot of speeches declaring himself to be king feminist. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's done that with Lucia because they've mostly seemingly talk, been talking about Italian and things like that all day. So uh, ending scenes, Jack models his sexy underwear and Lucia blows Albie's mind. She blows something else, too. Yeah, he does. I, you know, I write this in my notes and then sometimes I don't know what I'm writing. <laughs> that was some ass grabbing if I've ever seen it. Ooh, I think this is interesting, too, because I think in this scene... Albie sort of transcends his uh, generational ethoses and like he, he just suddenly suddenly realizes like, wow, here's this thing. And, and Lucia is so gracious and and kind about the whole thing. I, I, it was uh, it was actually kind of a touching moment. <laughs> Do I say that? Like like these two people there were actually, certainly touching involved. I, there was there was a lot of, of uh, there's a lot of entendre in this uh, podcast. They they seem to like there there seems to be a genuine affection here, and and I thought that that was really nice given all of the weird awkwardness that was going on between Portia and Albie in earlier scenes as they're trying to sort of negotiate the sexual politics of you know, um, of where they come from and the values that they, they come installed with. Right. And you know what? Nothing wrong with, you know, being attracted to a woman and, and she wants to give you a blowjob. You're great. You know what? Good for you, Albie. Yeah. Seem, seemed all above board to me. Now, will, when will he find out? Because I'm sure he's going to find out. When will he find out that she's a sex worker? Is, he, is she going to give him an invoice in the morning? No, I don't think this is this is not that. I I absolutely don't think that this is that. She's never because like she was straight up with Cameron and uh, and Ethan earlier. She's like, well, this is going to cost a lot, right? So like, there was no talk of that here. And and I I think um, she's yeah, like I've said, I think she's genuinely genuinely crushing on him. Yeah, no, I don't think that he's going to have to pay for anything. I'm uh, I'm wondering if she's going to try to hide it from him now. And uh, I mean, especially because it's his father. I don't know if she knows that it's his father yet, but. Uh, I guess we'll see next up. Yeah. And Portia certainly seems to be getting her wish fulfilled as well, because Jack is all about it. Yep. Yep. He's got his sexy underwear. Yep. I'm not sure if I would call them that, but he's got them. <laughs> and he knows what he's, it seems like he knows what he's doing. So yeah, she was having a good time. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's nice to see Portia too getting out of her funk because it was very, it was getting to the point of being uh, almost narcissistic. Like, oh, look at me, I'm sad. Almost. <laughs> Portia is all about herself. I mean, like, especially, I will say this, like, it was it, it was very self-centered to just not even send Albie a text like, hey. Right. Not interested. Right. We can hang out, we can chat, but, like, this ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think Portia is very about self-fulfillment on this and, and sort of is leaving people behind. And I wonder... I wonder what Mike White is trying to say about this. I don't think he's trying to like paint an entire generation as self-centered, but I do think he's saying like, you know, this woman is like acting like she she's kind of acting like she deserves this, right? Right. Or, or but she also doesn't know how to get out of her own trap. Right? Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't know how to like put the phone down and go out and live and now she's doing that. That's happening for her. And I think it's interesting that both for Albie and uh, Portia, they're getting out of themselves. They're getting out of the trap of, 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 you know, their thoughts and their ideas about how sexual politics should be and how I should be, you know, um, like Albie's very performative in several conversations, especially about the patriarchy stuff around the Godfather, right? And he's like yeah. looking over 
at um at Portia to check in to see if like you know she, you know he's like hasn't upset her and like he's in agreement with her four score and seven films ago <laughs> and uh in this scene they both get to sort of live beyond their boundaries and and get something that they wanted that either that they knew that they wanted or didn't know that they wanted and that's liberating for both of them yeah I think that they both had a happy ending this episode. <laughs> God, this podcast is just full of... <laughs> I'll be here all night. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. And when we return, we're going to go back into our recap. And we're back. All right, so let's switch over to the DeGrassos. We don't see them much in this episode. At lunch, Dominic tries to impress Albie with some jewelry that he bought for uh, Albie's mother. Bert is pleased by this, Albie less so. And then Albie is offended by his father's manipulations. Bert's like, you read my blog. <laughs> and You he, finally listened to me. Uh, and, and Dominic's like, there's absolutely no way she's going to have a conversation with you about any of this. Like, that is not happening. He's like, oh, I want to talk to her. And he's, he's like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. Uh, she respects me. Not about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that. first of all, expert level, S-tier level dodging, telling your dad that your wife doesn't respect him. Right. <laughs> not about this. Perfect. Uh, I, I should take lessons on on how to dodge a question from Dominic. I mean, he seems to be very good at it. Um, but yeah, Albie is just completely done with his dad. I mean, you see Albie getting more and more frustrated as the week goes on, and he doesn't even know that his father has been sleeping with sex workers. Like father, like father, like son? What was that? <laughs> that is underutilized, first of all. Mike White is really stacking this really interesting I don't know what to call it. I don't know what analogy to use here, but like the way that the characters are cross-cutting each other and interacting with each other and and uh, inverting and paralleling, it's like the mind that wrote this script to map out all of these relationships and twists in these relationships, like it's phenomenal what he's doing. It's at the same time, extremely entertaining uh, as well as like this is a great little sort of morality play and to see all of these peccadillos and um, uh, real issues that we, you know that we have to deal with as a society all being played out in these micro dramas is just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, brilliant show so far. I mean, I can't believe that one guy writes this because it just feels like so many different personalities. Yeah. Um. So something about this. This is at the lunchtime uh, as. They are ending the scene, the foursome walks by, and you can just hear Bert in the background as there's some other front uh, foreground chatter going on, talking about the prices on the menu. And Dominic says to Bert, don't worry about it since he's not paying for anything. So, And that happens just as Cameron and Ethan and Daphne and, and Harper go walking by. And it's Clear in the subtitles, I didn't pick up on it on the first watch, but when I was doing my notes, I had the subtitles on, and that's clearly there. And it's not just a trailing off conversation, it's a full four or five seconds of overlapping conversation. So 
That's right. very, again, another intentional choice. And I don't know what it means, but it's talk of money around Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and Harper. Well, I think that what I got out of that is just that Dominic is the one who brings home the cannolis, you know? He's, uh, he's the guy who made the money for the family. Bert just raised them. Right. Yeah, that's not the question. The question is, is like, uh, there's something overlapping here around Cameron and money. There's, he's driving something there. Right. All right. At dinner, Bert is shocked at the state of the piano player, as we've said before. And Albie says he has a dinner date and Bert shares about the incident with the girls in his room. First of all, all of the people just commenting on how the piano player is worse than usual. <laughs> not, not bad, not worse, but worse than usual. Right. So funny. Uh, really brutal. I mean, it's true. I mean, I'll say this. And I, I say this as someone who has played for dinners. Uh-huh. Because I used to play in a band. Okay. And we used to play for dinner sometimes. Nobody wants to hear it. Just like, have a concert. Have something where somebody can... Have, have, have like appreciation of your music. When people are having dinner and having a conversation, it's like always a weird combo to me. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I felt it as the performer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like, I don't know why this is still a cultural thing. I guess some people like it and that's why. I'm sure we'll get feedback where they're like, I love piano <laughs> dinner, during my dinner, meals. Piano, yes. I think the issue for me is music with vocals gets mm-hmm. distracting, right. you know? But I do think it's, it's nice sometimes to have like just solo piano. Or just solo like classical guitar uh, during a dinner. But anyway, that's my rant about that. Again, from the performer side. So noted. All right. Later in his room, Dominic is uninspired and closes his laptop. So what do you think this has to say about his uh, where Dominic is at? Is he trying to change? He's trying the nicotine patch here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the nicotine patch is porn. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just not feeling it. He's he's really depressed about this. Was it because he's actually trying to grapple with himself and move himself away from something, or is it he was like I'm I'm gonna do this in lieu of, but then it's not satisfying because it's not real. Not it's not that it's not real. It's that it's solo as opposed to a multi-person effort. Well. I think that that I think that that requires a much deeper conversation about the role of porn in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think that the general popular opinion—it's twice now that he's brought it up. Yeah, both with men with their laptops. Yeah, the general popular opinion now is like stop shaming porn and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that leaves a lot to be addressed on like treatment of people who work in porn. Uh, you know, especially women who work in porn. And I do think that, like, there are some conversations that we need to have as a society of, like, okay, but porn addiction is a real thing, and being so overexposed to sexual material does change your brain hardwiring, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's always overdoing something. So, you know, again, it, it requires a much deeper discussion about, like, the ethics around porn, um, which it has been a debate even in feminist circles for decades, decades. Um, and for me, I just think that he was just not feeling it, you know? Right. Again, this is uh, Mike White's doing a, a good job of, of adding these different elements. Like you say, you know, we need to have a conversation or a reckoning around this stuff. And, and he's able to, to add that conversational element effortlessly almost 
right? With just a scene or, uh, you know, here we got, you know, Ethan in one moment and Dominic in another moment where, you know, here, here, that, here this topic is, and then we pull back away from it, and now we're left to have this thought and conversation uh, about that. And I think it's just, it's brilliant scripting, brilliant story writing, and a great social commentary that, that this whole show is bringing forward. Right, exactly. All right, let's switch over to the foursome. We're going to start with Cameron and Ethan each waking up. I need to pause here. Can we just agree that quartet would have been a better thing to name this up front? No, it's way more classy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, because I, I was thinking about it. I was like, foursome just to me at first, I was like, that's a sexual thing. Yeah. We, we should call it something different. And then, <laughs> uh, then you were like, no, and we left it in. We left it in. So here's my follow-up on that conversation. Okay. We should have called it quartet, but it's too late now. So go on. All right. And we're keeping all this conversation in, right? Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Foursome. Uh, Cameron and Ethan each wake up from the debauchery of the previous evening. Cameron ushers the girls out of his room, but is short on cash. And Ethan wakes up and talks to Harper. I think Cameron's broke. I think he runs a Ponzi scheme. Okay. That's, that's just my takeaway from this. Okay. You don't think it was just like he didn't have the cash in his wallet? No, no. Okay. I, I think that he does not have cash. I think that he is, he is at the very least cash poor, you know, like okay. he's just stuck in investments. But I think that, I think that he runs a Ponzi scheme. I think he's trying to get Ethan in to cover some debts. Mm, interesting. Okay. I do, I will say that I do love the possibility of Lucia having to try to collect an envelope from Valentina at the front desk. I think that will be a very funny scene if that ever happens. <laughs> oh, can I, can I have my envelope? Yes. <laughs> from who? <laughs> All right, then uh, Cameron bro codes Ethan and talks dirty to him, and then Ethan has to run to the bathroom because he's not feeling well. This was hilarious to me because <laughs> Cameron, the actor, just sells it so, so well. I mean, it is just the whole sort of, oh, you know, macho guys, isn't it funny to pretend to be gay kind of, you know, thing. But the, what he does and how he does it, I just, um, you know, it's hazing in a way, but it was just comic in, in every aspect. Yeah. I mean, it's hazing. It probably was hazing in college, and now it's part of their established routine, so it's right. less problematic. But, right. Um, although, how much is their established routine still intact when it's like years later, it seems like, and they haven't talked a lot? Right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it was just... I, I see people talking about Cameron actually wanting Ethan, and I'm like, I think you're off base there. I think that that was the way that they acted in college, and he's just continuing it. Yeah, I don't read any uh, any of that. I mean, I would say that Cameron, you know, part of him is a hedonist. And I could, you know, like if he's in a situation where stuff's happened and I don't know that he's going to necessarily swerve away, um, you know, because just that, that whole sort of pleasure-seeking part of who he is. So then we switch over to uh, Daphne and Harper. And uh, I don't know if there is there a sister code. Uh, I don't know. We, I didn't. I was trying to like Google for like what do, what do you call a sister code in, as the inverse of a the bro sis code. The siskis. I don't know. Uh, right in. Anyway, um, Harper and her talk, and Daphne confesses her need for a gal pal. I will say this about the gal pal thing. Mm -hmm. Daphne says that she has no best friends at one point, and then later talks about a really close friend. I don't remember the context of how she does it, mm -hmm. but Daphne specifically says, like, oh, I have a really close friend, X, Y, Z. Uh-huh. 
And that is something that made me go, hmm, is this just a speech that she gives to everybody? Mm-hmm. Like, you're my best friend. She's right. just very, like, fake and surface level. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what to, to make of that, because I think Daphne is uh, a much more smooth operator than we've uh, been led to believe. Right. But I do think that, I don't think that Harper is anything close to her best friend, whether she says so or not. And I think right. that, in a way, she kind of knows that. She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, this is just what I tell everybody when I'm like, oh, we're close now. I'll let you in. You know, my my husband's cheating on me. And I told you that while we were high. So now you're in my circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just trying to cover for for the, the sl- not slip up, but the over the two, the TMI sort of of it all. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, back from their night away, Harper confides in Ethan, who then gets sick again. And then Harper finds evidence of the night's activities. She was quite happy to be uh, snitching on, as a snitching, well, you know, dishing on, on Daphne anyway. I mean, at the same time, wasn't there that, that thing in Parks and Rec? I don't know if you watched it, but, uh, and actually, was, this was Aubrey Plaza making this speech, like, no, you're my husband now. That's the deal. You have to tell me all your secrets. Mm-hmm. It was just a very, like, you know, husbands and wives. You get to, you get to tattle with your husband or wife. Right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, with, you, with your spouse. Um, but you don't, you don't get to tell outside that. And then it's not really tattling, you know, like in that, in that scenario. So it's kind of funny that Aubrey Plaza is the one who gave that speech, but yeah, no, I think that she just tells Ethan everything and it might be to show us how open she's being with Ethan right away. Right. Whereas he just has shut down to her. Which is, uh, yeah, that's like, a that's tough because they do have a very on, they've, they've shown us throughout the, the previous three episodes that they have a very honest relationship about stuff. And so for Ethan to then lie by omission, still a lie, that is a big break for their relationship. What is wrong with him with this bro code nonsense? Like, don't follow that. For this guy? Well, you just, I mean, you, what you were just saying, right? Like, within the confines of the marriage, you can share things with each other that should be shared. And for him, I mean, yeah, what... Instead of going like complete radio silence and, and complete obfuscation, like he could have alluded to something like, yeah, shit went down. I didn't do nothing, but like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to get, she could even just invoke bro code. Like, look, I've been sworn to secrecy. Right. Like stuff happened. I, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to like make things worse. But instead he just zips it completely. Right. His shutting down was worse than any, anything he could have said. I think so. I mean, I think even if he admitted to kissing Mia, mm-hmm. she would have Understood. let it go of he's drunk. Yeah. And she kissed him. Fine. Yeah. Um, I think that she she would have at least tried to understand. Yeah. The whole refusing to engage was just the wrong move, Ethan. Completely. And I think part of it is just being hung over is like, I can't engage with this right now. I mean, many of us have been there. Many of us have been there where you're just in your in your head from the night before. And you just can't engage with anything. And I think Ethan is there. They showed us that with Ethan sitting on the bed and then she comes up and then kisses him on the, on the cheek. And he's like taken uh, by surprise by that. He didn't even re- realize that she was coming in. He was so out of it. Right. Exactly. So I think it was a mix of that. I don't think it was 100% intentional of like, I'm going to shut you out at first. But I do think that he doubled down throughout the day as yeah. he woke oh, up completely. and as he got more yeah. comfortable in his skin, he just continued to just kind of gaslight her about right, it. He got comfortable with the lie. All right. Uh, the group comes down to the beach club and sits for lunch. Cameron and Ethan talk about their night of drinking. 
Harper is having trouble maintaining her composure. She's about to jump. Yeah. She was really having a really hard time. She was really disassociating. She was like, it was a, a, like a serious emotional impact from finding that condom wrapper. I'm pretty sure she made a diamond out of the, com- uh, out of the condom wrapper. <laughs> right, squeezing it so tightly. It was, it, that was a tough fist there. Um, side note, uh, Cameron is wearing the shirt that he bought in episode one. I don't know if you, you caught that. Oh. Yeah, when they went shopping because he didn't have his luggage. Um, and he comes out of a dressing room when me and Lucia are out on the street in front. And he's like, you know, playing, you know, playing silly with, with Daphne. That's the same shirt. So anyway. Okay. Little take. Um, over drinks, Harper has a disassociative moment and stands at the end of a dock. So she's just really reeling from this whole whole situation. Yeah, like I said, she was going to jump. Yeah. Later, as they get ready for dinner, Harper is acting strange, and Ethan confronts her. She asks again about what happened the previous night. He's had so many opportunities to correct this. He's got even one more after this. Right. And he just keeps fucking up, man. I, I just... I couldn't believe how my guy was doing this episode. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of think that my bet on him with the Deadpool mm-hmm. is weakening because okay. I think he has no shame here. Yeah, he's he doesn't he's not bothered by it. Like as we just said, like as he's gone on throughout the day, he's more and more comfortable with the lie. I would have been tortured by this. Mm. Maybe it's just because I have anxiety, but <laughs> I, I just. I would have been like, I wouldn't have been able to think about anything else. Oh my God, I just kissed someone other than my wife. Like, a, horrible. Right. And, it's, and especially when he's like lying to her about it and keeping it going. But like, he's just shaking it off. Like, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? You really have no idea, buddy. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't know about the condom, if she's acting that weird, she knows something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a smart woman. She's a very smart woman. Like maybe Daphne figured something out. And shared it with her. Like, mm-hmm. she knows something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And she's a lawyer, right? She's a, right. A, a, and she deals with this level of stuff where, you know, people are lying to protect reputations and to protect business and money. Right. And it's her job to figure this stuff out. So, yeah. She knows what a non-responsive answer is. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. So then after dinner, uh, Cameron and Daphne snuggle and then Harper sets out the wrapper. Uh, and confronts Ethan again. So, what is she doing with the with the condom wrapper here? Is she trying to set him up or giving him an out? No, I think she's setting a trap. I think she's basically like, I'm giving him this one last chance to come clean. All right. And then after that, I'm going to let him discover it first thing in the morning mm-hmm. and him know that I know. Right. Because that didn't just, that wasn't there earlier. Like, he's going to mm-hmm. know that she put it there. Right. He's going to discover it and he's going to be confronted by it. And he's either got to say something or not. And if he doesn't say something, then that's breaking the understanding that they have in their relationship. Right. Very sad to see this happen. I mean, Harper doesn't deserve this. And it's an interesting um, uh, parallel again. Then when in the next room over, we've got Cameron and Daphne snuggling and, you know, um, making promises to each other about not leaving each other. And both of them seeming to be to draw comfort in their mutual embrace, even though they both know that shit went down the night before. Daphne knows, right? Like, she knows. Yeah. This is going to be... The the whole thing is going to just light up next episode. Yeah. We got three episodes left, and we got a lot of plot to cover here. <laughs> Ooh, it's going to get... Yeah. 
And the density of this writing, it's going to get really tricky. Uh, the it's going to get spicier it. than Lucia's Molly. <laughs> okay, moving on to Tanya and Quentin. Um, just for reference, uh, Quentin's friends are Matteo, Hugo, and Didier. So Quentin invites Tanya to have a cocktail at the beach club. And then later, Tanya and Portia join Quentin, Matteo, Hugo, and Didier, and Jack at the club. So this party, first of all, looks delightful. Mm -hmm. I would like to go to this. I mean, you're just having wine on the beach. Really nice. Uh, I think that they're trying to swoon Tanya right now. Mm -hmm. I think that the gay mafia is after something. This is the gay mafia, David. Okay. <laughs> Don't question me. All right. All right. You're Sicilian, not me. That's true. That's or, true. Or I you, have you, the credibility. <laughs> or do do you, I? Are you come from Sicily or are you Sicilian? What do you think of this introduction of uh, Tom Hollander's character and and Jack? Are you are you okay with this? I think some people out there might be like a little bit like got a little bit of a character whiplash here, but I'm I'm all in for these guys. Why do you think they got character whiplash? I I, I think p people weren't uh, expecting to have an uh, additional character set come in. No, I like them, and they address yeah. they. Uh, introduced them last episode yeah they did and i so. i love tom Ollander is like he's bringing it he is so amazingly fabulous and and uh i love how he lavishes attention on tanya and tanya is like I, I don't know what to do with this at first bring it back to the beginning oh the very beginning <laughs> that's another line that made me chuckle he was like oh we're going there are we i was born in san francisco <laughs> At the end of this, so just sort of fast-forwarding this whole sequence of uh, Quentin explains the mystery of Isola Bella, and then she tells him her life story, and then at dinner, Tanya and Portia talk about the quality of friendships, and then they're joined by Quentin and the rest of the company, uh, and then they invite uh, Tanya to Palermo on the morrow. I'm really excited to go to a different area and mm -hmm. see different things. Uh, my family is actually from Palermo. Okay. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of fun. Um, it's a port city. Mm -hmm. So I, again, we're going to see some beautiful landscapes, I'm sure. By the way, Isola Bella, I just Google translated, is beautiful island. Okay. <laughs> very, very straightforward. Yeah. 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 As you they, do. They, they, didn't, they weren't too creative in the writer's room for that, Mike White. Right. But yeah, I'm excited to see the Gay Mafia headquarters. Um, I think it's going to be heavily armed, and uh, <laughs> we're going to have a great time. So do you think the Isola Bella device was simply a way to interject the Mafia conversation? Or is there something that's going to happen out there? Because it sounds like it's... They said that there's public viewings. I think Quentin says that there's public viewings. Do, is it going to factor into our story, or is it just a was it just a little device? I could see it going either way. Okay. Honestly, right. I mean, yeah, it could be both. Mm -hmm. It could be they are the real mafia, and then somebody else goes on a tour of the island. I mean, we know that Bert and Dominic are going all over Sicily. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they go on a tour, and something happens there. But um, yeah, no, I, I again, I think that this was another hint that this is actual mafia. This is actual <laughs> okay. organized crime here. All right. Fair enough. Um, and I'll just double point out the, the whole thing about the broke European aristocracy, because um, we're talking about boats, we're talking about going to Palermo, having a gym and working out and all of this kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll see, is, is this all smoke and mirrors or is there real money behind these guys? Right. 
Uh, I do have to say, though, that after Tanya has that lifetime confessional, you know, of explaining herself to somebody after that, like there is a palpable change in her her demeanor, uh, the way that she's presenting herself. She, she seems much more comfortable in her own skin. It feels like she's l- wrestling less with an anxiety. So like that therapeutic nature of like being able to divulge and share thoughts and feelings to some, to a sympathetic listener. Like uh, it was really great to see Tanya, not all twisted up in the knots of her own making. I know it was really refreshing because she was more fun in season one, even though she was trying to spread her mother's ashes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and this season she's just been really a bummer, like sinking into her, yes. her, uh, you know, bed and all that. We, I did enjoy her Peppa Pig moment. I did enjoy her, uh, her, uh, Vesta. What is it? Is that what it's called? Vespa. Vespa. Uh, Vespa ride. But other than that, she's been kind of a bummer. And it's been nice to see Jennifer Coolidge open up again. Clearly, uh, her relationship with Greg is, is a big bummer, right? They're, they are not happy. They are not in a good, good state. Their, their marriage is not in a good state. Right. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen with Greg. Yeah. I mean, you know, are we, he's actually going to, because like two days. So if that was day three, he left on day three. Mm-hmm. So he'd be coming back at um, either five or six. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, the way that Mike White is writing this, like anything could happen. All right, David, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we're going to check in on the Deadpool and listen to some listener feedback. And we're back. David, how are you feeling about your bets on the Deadpool? I think Mia is still a strong contender um, because she's taken this turn, right? She's starting to walk on the wild side a little bit, and uh, that could get her into trouble because she's not used to, you know, she's going to be operating in a realm that she's not used to operating. So I think that uh, potentially she's in still a lot of uh, danger. Greg is a big X factor. We just don't know what's going on with him, you know, now that he's out of the picture. And is he coming back or not? Like, that's that's a big question. and then. Boy, new characters on the you know in the mix. Like I have no idea like what could happen. I am still in on my theory that there's going to be several convergent incidents here. It's not going to be one mass thing. It's going to be maybe two or three sort of accidental things. I mean, if and we talked about this before, season one was an accident, right? So do we have a mixture of accidental and intentional? Um, I still pretty strong on that theory as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that there will certainly be at least some foul play involved, because mm-hmm. otherwise I think it would be disappointing if it was just like a bunch of hijinks that right. accidentally got everybody killed. Right. Yeah, so Greg feels about the same as you. I really have no feelings for or against. That's my, one of my Deadpool picks. Mm-hmm. Ethan I'm feeling less confident about. I think he has no shame, and I don't think that uh, anything's going to happen unless perhaps Cameron kills him because he ruins his marriage. You know, he's like, uh, he he somehow let out of the bag that uh, Cameron cheated on his wife and Daphne leaves him or something like that. We certainly have a lot of uh, uh, fertile ground for jilted lover scenario. Here, right. Uh, you know, for some sort of intentional uh, killing. And we see the Testa de Moro a lot in this episode. They show us lots of quick little scenes of it. So um, they're right, still who's getting decapitated. Woo. New oh, bet. God. <laughs> New bet. Who's getting decapitated? Uh, Jack. 
Jack. Yeah, I have no Man, evidence. That's, that's, that's out just, of nowhere. That's like, I'm not thinking about it. Like, just like what name ever popped up into my head? That's the thing that popped up into my head. Maybe he crosses the mafia. I'm going with Albie. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll have the rival Oh, Albie. Men. Oh, that's uh, brutal. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. Our nice guy. Well, he's got to get finished off some way in the yeah. uh, St. Sebastian <laughs> thing. Uh, my third one was Portia. Still feeling pretty good about it. Okay. Um, I think that something's happening with Lita and the Swan here. Again, I think that Bert's going to be involved. I think that we're not done with their interactions. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm excited to see where this goes now. And you know what? She's hanging out with the gay mafia now. So there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of weapons around. I'm telling you. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's going to take a real turn if, if we suddenly start seeing heavy weaponry uh, come out. Well, they don't flash it. They just, you know, got it tucked away. This is the mafia. They're classy. <laughs> Listener feedback. We've got uh, Jesse in Portland. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Regarding the Monica Vitti and Jennifer Coolidge reference in, in the show, I'm not familiar with her body of work referring to Monica Vitti. However, I did stumble across this, which I found interesting. It's a comparison between a scene involving Harper during her adventure with Daphne and a Monica Vitti scene in a film called La Ventura. Hey, I said it good. You did. The plot of the film might or might not be spoilery, so here's fair warning. The plot summary is, a woman disappears during a Mediterranean boating trip. During the search, her lover and her best friends become attracted to each other. Mm. And he references a tweet in the IMDb page. Thanks for the great pod content on all the shows. Jesse in Portland. Thank you, Jesse. Um... That's actually interesting. I hadn't connected that until just now as I'm reading it, because the um, uh, Quinton says you must. Oh no, no, Mateo says you must see the boat, right? So it, it gets referenced. Yeah, I mean, maybe somebody does get lost. Uh, mm -hmm. I do like this whole idea of best friends falling in love with each other, or mm -hmm. you know, the best friend falling in love with the the man in her life. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder what they're doing with that. With Daphne, Cameron, and, uh, mm, yeah. you know, all that jazz. Right. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Jesse. Well, Jesse's our only listener feedback uh, this week. So remember, you can write in to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com because we do love to get your emails. And we should have some interesting stuff coming up in the next episode. So definitely drop us a note if you get a chance. All right. For housekeeping, we have the White Lotus coming out today and every Wednesday. We have Andor coming out every Saturday, except uh, this is the last week. We're going to do a season wrap-up after that with Maester Anthony from the Double Dragon podcast, another member of the Bald Move family, but just two more Andor episodes coming out, and the day after this episode drops, on, on Thanksgiving we're talking, is going to be uh, the first Silmarillion story. We're discussing the Aina Lindelay. Take it at your own pace. If you haven't read it yet, that's fine. Go read it and uh, get back to us. You can always send feedback for that at LOTR at thelorehounds.com, and you can always send feedback here at the White Lotus at thelorehounds.com. Again, you can get all of our content, including our premium new Second Breakfast podcast, early and ad-free at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Link is also in the description below. So thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week. The White Lotus podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds or by email at whitelotusatthelorehounds.com. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. 
This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>